As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is presented in part by the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular. New for 2018, the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular will be contested at IHRA tracks around the country with a $10,000 to win on Saturday and $5,000 to win on Sunday format. By pre-entering the Saturday race for only $150, you will receive entry to Sunday's race for free. In addition, today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're an open-minded racer with a desire to improve on the racetrack, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can provide the tools to help you do so. All right, so Luke, uh, we uh, always like to start the show with what everyone is talking about, but... Man, we got some spring fling million talk to to get going. Something I know you're going to have a little bit to talk about yourself with a, a great outing there. But this seemed to be the event of repeat winners and finalists. I mean, it seemed like if you've done well at the spring fling million in the past, you did well here this weekend. Yeah, we did. We saw a lot of familiar faces out there in Vegas. And just overall, like I know we kind of sound like a broken record on this, but what a great event. Yeah, Kyle, Sean, that whole staff, that thing is a well-oiled machine. Arguably the most impressive venue in all of drag racing out at Las Vegas and in a cool town on top of it. Like it's got everything that you would want. We've got a ton to get to in today's show, Big Jed. So I guess I will waste as little time as possible singing the praises of Pete and Kyle and the Spring Fling Million. And uh, I guess we'll start off with that and get right into results. Tuesdays event was largely a test and tune but also a uh, 48 car shootout for a new american race cars dragster and i didn't realize exactly what they were racing for tuesday jay i don't know if you saw pictures of that like that was probably the most finished detail raced for a dragster car that i've ever seen like it was a complete roller painted wired pretty much ready to just drop a motor in and go racing pretty cool setup 
Yeah, it was a beautiful whip. Beautiful. They they did show some pictures of that on social media. Got to check it out, and what an awesome way for this thing to be won, Luke, with a, a husband and wife final round. That was uh, spectacular. Yeah, really special night for the Warden family. Actually saw Lori Warden, that's the wife, knock off James Warden, that's the husband, in a husband-wife final round for that $35,000-plus dragster. So really cool night for the Warden family. And they were actually just getting their weekend started. As if that weren't enough, I think it was Friday night during the Million, they had their raffle drawing for a new race tech dragster, which was also won by <laughs> Lori Warden. Uh, Unbelievable. Yes, a very special weekend for the Warden clan. And then, as you mentioned, the rest of the weekend, in large part, saw a lot of familiar faces in the winner's circle. Not just big names, but guys that have won the Spring Fling before. That started Wednesday with Marco Paravalaris, friend of the podcast. Yeah. Um, My pick in the NHRA uh, Super Comp division as well. Ah, okay. He basically picked up where he left off last year. Last year, he won Saturday's event, the last day of the event. I believe it was a 20 grander last year. Picked right up and uh, won the opening $30,000 to win event this season. Marco knocked off Don Mazir in the final round. Mazir was in his top sportsman car, an all California matchup on uh, Wednesday night in that 30 grander. Yeah, West Coast showed up big, got it done there on Wednesday in the 30K, get uh, their week started. So great job there by Marco and Don. Thursday uh, was another 30K where a couple of former million-dollar finalists. Now, there's only been now three million-dollar winners there in Vegas, and two finalists showed up against one another. Luke, with you having a great day. And getting the win on Thursday's 30K over Lane Dickin, the, the ultra-hot Lane Dickin at that. Uh, so I know you don't want to talk too much about yourself and, and that day, but that had to feel good to go back out after winning the million last year and, and getting a 30K uh, on Thursday. Yeah, something about that place, Big Jed. I just uh, had a lot of success at Vegas over the years. Now, all three Spring Fling Millions, plus I've won a national there. I've won a points meet there. We went for the Thanksgiving race years ago, and I won two days of it. Like, I like Vegas. Vegas likes me. Um, <laughs> but uh, as I told you off air, like, I really had no business staging for round six. Like, I was mediocre to awful through the first five rounds of that event, managed to sneak through, got a huge break fifth round against Paige Lundin. Paige is a really good young racer. Had me like 17 thou on the tree and I won a double breakout by a couple of thousands. And after that, like I just kind of decided like, hey, you're down to 20 something cars. You might ought to get your act together. And I actually did make really good runs the last four or five rounds. So, but I, in the end, uh, I feel like I got way more than I deserved. So, but I'll take it. Yeah, you don't get enough of those days at the racetrack, so take it when you can. And uh, again, Lane Dickin, you know, having been to a big final round there in Vegas uh, a couple of years ago and now coming back and getting the runner-up in the 30 after his big win at the SFG event earlier this year. So he's still super hot, and that's a, that's a pretty good trip for him from Tennessee as well. So congratulations to him and congratulations to you, man. That's a great way to go back your uh, your million-dollar win up. And then that took us into the Friday Million, Luke. Yeah, the big day at the Spring Fling Million, the atmosphere was electric. It was everything that it is cracked up to be throughout. And when the dust settled, 
Randall Reed, Texas-based racer, who we will catch up with a little bit later in the show, uh, scoring the biggest win of his career, what would probably be the biggest win of anyone's career. Randall got the big win over J.R. Lobner. J.R. put on a show himself. J.R. was not only runner-up in the million, he also advanced to the quarterfinals on his second entry. So really impressive showing for JR on the biggest stage in in our sport. I'm just trying to go off of memory. Semi-finalists, obviously you get deep in the million, everybody gets paid. Significant money going to the semi-finalists was Dylan Stott and Aaron Kennard. And at seven cars, uh, like I said, JR lost one entry. Andy Schmall got to seven from the no-box side. And Johnny Bracket Racer, Johnny Ezel, was down to seven. We'll get to Johnny in just a second. Anything that stood out to you from Friday's main event, Big Jed, watching from the live feed? Yeah, I got to watch uh, quite a bit of that. And, um, you know, obviously, J.R. Loebner's, his performance was pretty darn impressive. Uh, get to seven, as you say, with two entries. I'm not sure that's been done in a million-dollar event of any kind, so... Great job by Jr. Unfortunately, he ran into Randall Reed both times and uh, ended his day, which one of those was again, as you said, was a little earlier, and then made it to the to the final with the other one. I thought it was cool to see Johnny Brackett racer there at seven. Um, you know, he was going for something that was uh, going to be a pretty special accomplishment if he could finish the deal having won the previous million on the east coast in october so it was uh just a all-around great event i mean i really enjoyed the coverage from bang shift uh, the atmosphere did seem awesome and uh, the announcing team mike eames and uh, nathan hershey did a great job uh, keeping us informed of what was going on so just uh, hate I missed it, but it was a seemed like a awesome day on the strip. Yeah, they weren't quite big, Jed, but they were very, very good. I, I will, I will agree with you there. Well, I appreciate that. To your point, and we'll catch up with them later. Randall Reed put on a show. You know, I mean, we're we're talking about Jr. and there was a lot of impressive performances throughout the day, but obviously none more impressive than Randall Reed. And uh, case in point, I'm sure he'll tell us more about it. Like the round before the split. Corey Galletti laid down seven total beside Randall Reed. Yeah. And Corey's win light did not come on. And I believe, like I said, I stood up there and watched the last four or five rounds from the bleachers. And I don't think there was a round that Randall was not double O coming down the stretch. So very well deserved on his end. And just as it came to mind, you'd said JR getting to seven double entered in the million. Obviously super impressive. The only thing that comes to mind, you remember when they had the Millennium Million at Rockingham? Yep. did it for maybe two or three years there. Yeah. There was one of those. It was probably the most impressive single weekend performance I've ever seen from none other than Scotty's back. Scotty's back. <laughs> uh, yeah. Scotty Richardson, like, I, this may be revisionist history, but, like, I think he lost, like, two rounds all weekend, and one of them was to himself. He hmm. had or maybe more than it was, like, he won the Thursday gambler's race for a dragster. I believe he ran himself in the final of Friday's 20-grander, and he had two entries in it, four in the million, and had to run himself. Hmm. And then lost the final, and then came back. And I don't think he ran himself in the final on Sunday's 20-grander, but he won it. Like, he won everything there was to win except for the million-dollar final. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that, that seemed like a pretty special weekend. Uh, like Scott. You know, uh, Luke, 
one thing I didn't mention that stood out to me was, you know, I've, I've been to Vegas, obviously, several times from when the spring fling started out there, obviously missing this one. But I've been quite a few times. The racing has tightened up there so much over the few years that the fling has gone to Vegas. I don't know if the East Coasters were ahead and helped the West Coasters get a little better or if the better West Coasters are now showing up or whatever, but it was dead on after dead on after dead on after tight package. It was, uh, it seemed like just awesome racing. What I, what I saw online, you were there, so you would know. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I, I think that the field from top to bottom has gotten much tighter over, certainly over the last 10 years or so since the first couple of times that I went out west and even just over the three years of the Sprinkling Million. And I don't, I'm like you, I don't necessarily know what to attribute that to other than the West Coasters are just getting to do a little bit more of this. You know, I mean, like the first Spring Flings at Vegas – were like the only bracket races that those guys got to run all yep. year. So they were a little bit behind. That They're not behind anymore. Like that's as tough a race yep. as you'll run anywhere. And really to see packages like we see everywhere for the most part, but to make those runs at Vegas, like that's a tricky place to race. Like there's always wind issues, like the, the it's desert air. So it's, it's cool in the morning. It's hot mm-hmm. in the day. It's cool at night. Like there's just more variance there than normal. So to see the sub 10 packages side by side, I think is in largely even tougher to do there than what we're used to seeing on this side of the country. Yeah, I agree. That is a tricky place. Definitely throw you a curveball or two. And obviously, uh, it's changed from a thousand foot to eight mile. That's probably tightened it up just a little bit on its own. But nonetheless, I believe the uh, competition has just gotten that much better over the years. And uh, looks it looked like any event you would see out here. So kudos to everybody there for some great racing on display. Look, that took us after Randall got presented the trophy and the big check and whisked off to downtown Las Vegas to his suite that you got to enjoy last year. Party at uh, the Cosmo. Wrapped it up Saturday with the 30K to win, where it was kind of a story of redemption. It may come up just one win light short, but Benny Domino, which uh, has won big in Vegas before, he's a previous winner there as well from all the way out from uh, New York, got the win over Brian Cerruti. And for those listeners who are not familiar with Brian Cerruti, which I think most of you are, Brian is the man that runnered up the final race last year at Vegas and stopped at a hotel to uh, get some sleep on the way home and woke up to his rig being gone and was fortunate enough to get it back. Yeah, race car trailer was found and got him... Uh, restored back to his racing operation and which was a great story in itself that we talked quite a bit about here on the podcast but great to see brian go back out and almost finish the deal again but uh, big benny those that know him know he's a, a quiet guy very uh, very talented and it was good to see him get the win and, and brian make another big final round yeah, cool story to see Saruti back in that final, basically the exact same position that he was in last year where he fell to Marco Perevalaris. And just watching it shake down after Saruti rolled through the no-box portion of the event, they're down to like 11 cars, beat Johnny Ezel without a box, came back around, beat Gary Williams without a box <laughs> to make the buy into the final. Like, mm. Yeah, pretty impressive stuff there late in the race from uh, from one of the best bottom ball racers in the country 
Yeah, very talented. You you think about there was a huge footbreak event on the East Coast we'll talk about later. And Brian is from Ohio, made the trip to Las Vegas to use the trans brake button, and it paid off big time for him. So great job there, Brian. Glad to see you make it back out to a final round. And congratulations, Benny, and all the big winners, Peter, Kyle, Emily, Sean, everybody involved with the fling. Great event. But, Luke, it did have its share of controversy. This week on What Everyone is Talking About. All right, Luke, so again, uh, we always like to talk about, uh, start the show kind of with what everyone is talking about. We had some spring fling discussion there, but this is what everyone's talking about. We were tagged, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jeb was tagged on Facebook by our buddy Lee Norton, and there was a video associated with it, and it has uh, led to a major conversation in social media and outside of social media as well. I mean, I've been getting text messages and all kind of crazy stuff. So if everybody saw what happened, it was Johnny Brackett Racer, kind of some staging antics. Okay. So I think most people that listen to this show have probably seen it and have an opinion. But basically what happened was Johnny was racing a car, and I don't even know who was in the other lane. Uh, It's not significant at this point, but the gentleman in the other lane probably didn't want to stage first. Johnny didn't want to stage first, so uh, Johnny, knowing the auto start system as well as he does, decided to use some staging antics that uh, he's been known to do in the past. So basically what Johnny does is gets close to the stage beam, and he can turn his wheel, turn his steering wheel, turn his front tires, and light the stage beam from the pre-stage and turn them back and turn the light back out. So if you know how auto start works, once the stage beam is lit, different systems are different setups, but basically half a second or so, once that stage beam is lit for that long, and three bulbs are on, it starts auto start. Now, if a guy backs out of the beams after he's been staged for half a second, if he turns his wheel and turns the stage light out, none of that matters because auto start has begun and it recognizes that somebody was staged while both cars were at least pre-staged. So Johnny did that one time, and I don't think he lit it for the full amount of time. He just blinked it so to speak, and so kind of let the other guy in the other lane know that I'm close and I can stage if I want to, but I don't want to. So I don't think the auto start started at that point, but the second time he did it, while said racer in the other lane is still showing him that I'm not going to stage, this is a full-on staging battle at this point, and I see you over there blinking your light and playing your games, but I'm not staging. Well, the second light obviously started the auto start. Johnny, knowing the system well, knew exactly what had happened. He turned the stage beam back out. And I should have counted, to, if I was going to give the, uh, the details about this, I should have counted how many seconds. But it looked like he basically waited about seven seconds or so and fully staged the car. And obviously, with a 10-second auto start... Within a couple of seconds, 
the racer in the right lane had a timed out red bulb. Johnny turned the button loose and made his run. So that has started an uproar that... Firestorm. (laughs) Firestorm. And keep in mind, this wasn't like the buyback round of the gambler's race. This was third round of the million. Yeah, great point. So, you know, Johnny is now being accused of playing chicken crap games and... Uh, winning at you know all costs with antics and if you got to do that to win i don't have anything for you. you why do you do that so everybody's seemingly has had an opinion because we're obviously tagged on the post and it's all day every day people commenting i have no idea how many comments it's got to this point but it's a bunch johnny is without question on trial in the court of public opinion so what i think we should do here big jed because I've thought about this for, what, two days now, and I actually can make, I think, a pretty good argument either way. So let's put Johnny Bracket Racer on trial here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And, Jed, I will let you (laughs) choose. Do you want to be the prosecuting attorney or do you want to be the defending attorney? Again, I believe I could play either role, Luke, but uh, just for the sake of having a good time with this and, and having a good discussion, I will be the defendant or defending attorney. Defense okay. attorney, I guess you would. Defense be. attorney. There you go. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Okay, good stuff. That's fair. I feel like I have been a Johnny Brackett racer apologist or come to his defense on the podcast at some point in the past. So I'll take the other side. I'm cool with that. Um, <laughs> how, how does the trial start? Does the prosecutor go first? Oh yeah, I would think so. I think you you bring the case against it and then I try to defend it. Okay. Well, thankfully I've never been to court, so I had to ask. Um, <laughs> okay. So as you mentioned, I think it goes without saying here, but there is certainly fault in both lanes here. Like if I am going to try to say that Johnny is guilty or wrong here, that does not in no way mean that his opponent was innocent or right. Okay. Like it takes two to have a staging battle without question. And regardless of how you look at this, like either regardless of how you view what Johnny did, the other lane. And again, I'm like you, I, I don't remember the gentleman's name that was in the other lane and that's no indictment on him. Like, I was 1,800 miles from home. I didn't know 70% of the names there, right? (laughs) Um, But this racer, I think, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when when I say that the racer in the other lane was either really stubborn or, and or, um, at least somewhat ignorant to how the auto start process actually works. Otherwise, he would have gotten staged at some point. So there is definitely blame in that lane. But that's not the the crux of our argument, right? We're, we're putting Johnny Brackett Racer on trial here. That's so right. while obviously you can't have a staging battle unless both parties are interested in having a staging battle, I would argue as the prosecuting attorney that you can have a staging battle all day long and no one gets disqualified until Johnny instigates the action by turning on the stage bulb turning it back off and activating the auto start sequence. There's no chance anybody gets disqualified without getting to stage until he does that. 
And so in that instance, I would say that there is more fault on him because he instigated that. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And like, it's one thing to prove your point. Like, look, I don't have to stage first, right? But do you yep. really have to prove that point third round of the million dollar race when everybody in the staging lane has, has ponied up $2,000 to be there, when that win light is worth $1,000 minimum? And a shot to stay in the race for two hundred and sixty grand is that the way that you want to win that round? That would be what I would come at you with as the prosecutor. Yeah, and I I understand that thought completely, but with all due respect, I don't I don't think the great racers like Johnny Brackett Racer, uh, not smoke up your skirt, but the Luke Bogakis, I don't think the great racers out there really think about I'm in the third round of the million. I think they have a plan and they go up and they put that plan into place and that's why they win. So I I say Johnny showed up third round of the million against a guy that he might know. I don't know. The guy might be notorious for staging last. Johnny might have watched him two days prior showing everybody there they were, he was going to stage last. I really don't know what happened there, but – he was obviously prepared for whatever he was dealt, and he really didn't care if it was third round of the million or third round of the Tuesday night gamblers. Had a guy that wasn't going to stage, and Johnny showed him a little lesson in paying attention to everything that's going on and showed him that he has a supreme knowledge of the auto start system and how it works, and I think said racer probably learned a very valuable lesson expensive one at that <laughs> expensive without question i okay if that's the game plan i guess my question is why is that the game plan like let's go back to the discussion that we had last week big jed the the hashtag racing answers we didn't go directly down this path but we talked about staging games in general and is it more unsportsmanlike or is it more gamesmanship and we both jed kind of took middle ground there and said that uh, I don't know if it's necessarily unsportsmanlike. I lean more towards gamesmanship, but I think it's largely unnecessary, particularly if you're Johnny Ezel. Like, it's one thing if you're some guy that's never won a race, that has never entered the million dollar race, that you know what I mean? Like, you're not supposed to beat anybody there, quote unquote, supposed to. It's one thing to resort to these types of tactics and gain whatever advantage you can. But dude, you're Johnny Ezel. Like you are arguably the best bracket, the best eighth mile bracket racer in the world. If, and that's all some completely subjective. So mm-hmm. if you don't think Johnny's the best bracket racer in the world, like he's on the short list without question. Over the last two years, he's the winningest bracket racer in the world. Whether you measure that in terms of event wins or prize money, I'd say he's both. So like. When Johnny stages, he's the favorite 99% of the time. When he's not the favorite, I don't think he's ever the underdog. Like at worst, he's even money. Yep. Why do you have to resort to this? Just go beat people. Just race straight up. Like Why, why do this? That would be my argument. Well, I think it's in part just because that's who he is. Johnny, yeah, he's on the short list. He's on everybody's short list. Everybody knows what's going on. I mean, anybody that follows big time bracket racing knows Johnny is is capable of winning no matter who's in the other lane. But I would say this is Johnny Ezel that everybody didn't know 
for the last several years. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is just who he is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is it, do you, do you change who you are because you've had some success? I don't think Johnny apologizes for anything he does. Uh, He, you know, wears his cowboy boots and, you know, whatever else he does that people don't like, uh, loose belts, turns his head all the way around the car, whatever anybody can find to pick on him about. This is just another thing on the list that he could care less about or couldn't care less is actually how you would say that. And this is just who he is. So I don't think he should change who he is and the way he goes about his racing program or processes because he's had success. You know, he might might have had a little chip on his shoulder. Might have said, you know, this guy, I'm Johnny Ezel. I'm Johnny Bracket Racer. I mean, this guy thinks he's going to punk me and stage battle me. Y'all uh, hold your beer and watch this right here. This is about to get real good. So, yeah, you know, heck with him. If that's what he thinks he's going to do to me, and I think that's just who Johnny is. He doesn't apologize for doing whatever he can. And make sure we all understand this. Within the rules to win a race no you're right it is completely within the rules i think what we're arguing is whether or not it's in the spirit of the rules but certainly by the letter of the law did nothing wrong and to your point i'll take my prosecutor hat off for just a second but to your point the thing that i think rubs a lot of people wrong about johnny is probably the single thing that i find most refreshing about him personally is just as you said like he don't give a bleep what you all think like about any of it, you know yep. what I mean? And and again, I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I think it's awesome. And I think it's actually that is what makes whatever he's got going on with Britt Cummings like so intriguing because that's two guys <laughs> that don't give a bleep. You know what I mean? But okay, <laughs> let me go back to uh, the prosecuting attorney here. What – I think this is an interesting part of this argument. Do you think, Jed – and I would assume as the defense attorney you're going to argue – do you think that his intent was to get his opponent timed out? No. I honestly think because it looked like Johnny was late. So it, I think the intent was to get his opponent to stage. I really believe that. I think he understood this could be a timeout situation if he wants to continue to sit over there and show me that he's not going to stage. But I really think the intent was to get him to stage. Because Johnny didn't seem like he had it completely together. He might have hit the tree. I don't know. It just looked a little late to me. Yeah, so no. I'm, I, I, I'm thinking I it kind of caught him off guard a little bit, too. I would agree with that. I didn't see the slip. Like it, it definitely looked like he said on green. I want to believe that. And that was my original impression. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, though, because I am the prosecuting attorney. And say this. If the intent was solely to force your opponent to stage okay at the point when the tree comes down why not roll through the beams and stop and let a lot force the starter and or race promoters to make that decision at that point stop look at them go okay what's the deal and i have no idea what pete and kyle's decision would be i don't know if to say rules are rules that stands you won he timed out or if they would say hey why don't you guys back up and try that again i have no idea but yeah. if the intent was completely to just force the action and force your opponent to stage, why then would once the tree start down, you chip it and make a time trial? That's the one thing that I would say, look, 
I don't know if the intent was to time somebody out, but he sure wasn't arguing with it. You know what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying? So oh, I, yeah, I understand completely. Okay, I'll take this a little bit different direction now because obviously I don't. We we've got two attorneys. <laughs> that's that's a that's a term used loosely. We don't have a judge, <laughs> but let me say this. I'll share this story from my past for whatever it's worth, and I think the the reason I want to share this is because I think in this day and age I, I have and and largely feel like I've earned like a, a pristine image, so so to speak. Sure. As far as someone who competes with integrity. So this might, the story might surprise you, but it's, it's like 15 years ago, I was basically in this exact same situation. And it's funny because like everybody thinks that this is new. This stuff's been going on for two decades, right? This game exactly. But rewind the tape and it was a, it was a big event at the time. It was the $50,000 win race at the World Super Pro Challenge in Stanton, Michigan. And it was just like Johnny's. It was in the main event. And I was paired up with an opponent that throughout the weekend, this was the situation. A, this dude refused to stage first. And he took it one step further in that whenever his opponent finally staged, this racer would actually put the car in neutral, clear it out twice before dropping it into gear and following his opponent in. And he justified that by saying, you know, like he had some type of carburetor issue and had to clear it out prior to staging. But the way everyone took it, opponents and onlookers, was like a slap in the face. Like, yeah, not only am I not going to stage first, I'm going to let you know that I didn't stage first before I go in. Okay? I'm paired with this opponent third round. I think it was third round of the 50. And I had no ill intentions whatsoever. Like, I'm just whatever. He do whatever he wants to do. I normally stage first anyway. Once he stages, we'll race, and I will beat him, right? That's my mindset. So we pre-stage. I ease in and stage. And when I do, he kicks it into neutral and gives me a couple badass. And it just <laughs> flew all over me, Jed. And I thought, bleep him. And I cut the wheel and turned the stage bulb out, knowing full exactly what I was doing. And at the time, it was a 15-second timeout. I counted to 13, turned the wheel back, and guess what? The tree came down, and I was way worse than Johnny. I hit the tree because I knew it was coming. Like, I was 10, and my opponent got timed out. And I sailed right down the track and made my solo and didn't feel bad about it a bit. And the difference, (laughs) I think, in our situation, A, number one, it was a big event, but it was a different time. We have live feed with thousands of people watching, right? It was it was the talk of the racetrack that day, but it's not like it had the whole racing community up in arms like Johnny does. Oh, yeah. Okay? And at least for the people that were there, like I got more pats on the back than anything because that racer was kind of rubbing people the wrong way for two days. I know that there was a lot of people stood up for Johnny online, but at the racetrack, he was the villain. You know what I mean? He was definitely the bad guy. So it was a different public sentiment. But I guess my point here is is twofold. Number one, I can't stand in judgment. Like in a similar race when I was – Johnny's been more successful to this point than I had to that point. Like you could argue he's a better racer than I am now. He's certainly a better racer than I was 15 years ago. But about the same age, in a similar situation, like I did the exact same thing. So I can't hear, sit here and say, like, that doesn't make me right. That doesn't make him wrong. But I have a hard time just passing judgment on it. But my secondary point is that 15 years removed from that, like, I'm not really that proud of what I did. And I would never do it again if the situation presented itself today. 
because within that 15 years, like I've just gained more perspective, I guess. Like I just have too much respect for opponent, my any opponent, the promoters of the event. Because when you do something like this, you put them in a bad spot. And just racing in general and kind of my role as an ambassador of our sport. Because Johnny, too, like, I realize he's young and, and like you said, like, he's gotten this far because he's got a chip on his shoulder without question. But whether he realizes or not, whether he wants to admit it or not, he's a, a, a racer that is an ambassador of our sport that other racers look up to, that younger racers look up to. And I would just argue, like, dude, this isn't, this isn't really the example that we want to set. So, yeah, I don't know. That was a long story to kind of take my grand takeaway. Well, and I totally understand that. And again, we just talked about gamesmanship or, you know, is it unsportsmanlike or whatever. We just talked about this subject uh, last week and uh, I told you, you know, where I feel like I position myself in racing now. Uh, I just can't afford to do those things. I represent manufacturers that support my racing program why they support it nobody's figured that out yet but we i have some people that support my program thank god and 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 maybe jed all this comes down to is that you and i care way more about what other people think than johnny does and that's fine you know what i mean maybe that's all that maybe that is the root of it but i was gonna say there was a time when i was johnny's age and i felt like i was at the top of the game and if one of my buddies that i went racing with come up and said Jed, you got Racer X. This guy ain't stage first on anybody all day. He's He just thinks he can go when he wants to. Well, Jed was going to show him. I'll show him. Completely. You, know, he, you don't do that to me. And I was never at the popularity level or, or recognition level that Johnny Ezel's at right now. Never reached that. Never will. But there was a time when at my program I was at the height of it and I was going to show you, you, you didn't do those things to me. So, you know, that could be some of that. And Johnny, and in 15 years, he might sit down with somebody and tell them, you know, man, that was, I shouldn't have done that. But right now where he's at, at the top of the game and maybe feels like at times he's getting punked, he ain't going to put up with it. No, and he's not. I can't not fault him for that. I agree. Okay, let's take a little bit of a step back here because obviously, like where we feel our role is as, as a podcast and what we're trying to do here. Obviously, we, we try to shed light on the rock stars of our sport. We try to tell some of the great stories from within our sport. And, and I know that we've talked about this before. Like part of our mission is to improve our sport, to, to leave it better than we found it going forward. So, yeah. In reference to situations like this, because regardless of where you stand on this, like it, not just in, in relation to Johnny specifically, like I don't know that this is a great look for our sport, right? So sure. uh, how can we alleviate future situations like this? And to me, it's not about like getting on our pulpit and saying, don't race like this, whatever, right? Because like, what Johnny did, as you mentioned, is completely within the rules. So I propose like, not so much a change in the rules, but I think what would be a fairly simple change in the programming of the auto start system. Okay, like as you explained it, I think pretty eloquently earlier, the timeout at the Sprinkling Million was 10 seconds. So from the time that three bulbs are on at any point, and again, the stage bulb has to be lit for whatever, like a full second, half a second, whatever it is. Once that happens, within 10 seconds, both cars have to be staged, regardless of whether that stage bulb stays on. 
I think it would be pretty simple to change this and say that there is no chance of a timeout unless three bulbs, being two pre-stage and one stage bulb, are lit constantly for that 10 seconds. That way there's no turning it on, turning it out. Like all three bulbs have to be on and stay on for 10 seconds before anybody could get timed out. And let's be honest, if you're in the other lane there and you, you've been pre-staged and then your opponent's been staged for 10 seconds and you ain't made it in, you ought to be out. <laughs> yeah, good right? point. Very good point. And, and uh, I don't know, is, is that oversimplified? Would that work? Yeah, it'd work, you know, and, and there's a lot of ideas that work. I, I like the, the idea of time from pre-stage to stage for both racers, you know, whether that's 10 seconds from the time both cars pre-stage to 15 seconds, whatever it is, the tree's going to fall whether either of you stage i'm luke i've raced since 1984 my next staging battle will be my first staging battle never had one and never will i'm going to stage if you show me that you don't want to stage i'm just going to go ahead and stage because i really don't think that has any bearing on the outcome unless you just let it have one i think if you got your head on straight you just pull in there and stage and race so i'm all for kind of the shot clock idea but kind of not but all you're going to have is pre-stage battles now if you get into <laughs> if you get into this. Which, yeah, you know, I, uh, I saw that idea floated out there, and I'd never really thought about it in that regard. And I don't know how popular that would be because I know there are people that think like that staging battle is one of the coolest things about sportsman drag racing. Like I'm with you. Like if the, if that rule was was adopted to where again like both cars pre-stage and then you both got 10 seconds to get in. If anybody's not in, the tree's coming down. I'm cool with that. <laughs> it would alleviate all of the, the silly games or what I think are silly games. And, I mean, I don't think it would be significant, but it would speed up the program a little bit. Yeah, again, I, they're going to find ways around it. You got one racer is going to pre-stage and one's not, or neither racer will pre-stage and, and show the other that you're going to go in first in some form or fashion. But I think for the most part, uh, what we consider a true staging battle it will eliminate 75% of those, which I'm a huge fan of as an announcer and a racer that might be sitting in a water box behind you and it's 93 degrees and 103 in the car. So I got no use for staging battles, uh, don't like them, don't participate in them. So any way we can find a way to get rid of those, I'm a huge fan of. So the Spring Fling Million was not the only big racing available to folks uh, back on the East Coast in Darlington, South Carolina. The ATI Bigfoot 40s, $40,000 foot brake races, three of those bad boys from Loose Rocker Promotions there at Darlington. All indications that it was a huge success uh, the first time out of the gates for an event of this magnitude for the foot brake racers. A nice big crowd. So uh, hopefully everything went well for Loose Rocker, and I know the racers thoroughly enjoyed it as I'm seeing tons and tons of posts on social media about how great of an event it was. Hey, I missed it. Hopefully can make it out there with those guys soon. But Friday, go ahead. I think you had something to say there. No, I was just to say looking at the, at the results to this, I, I think it's a cool mixture because you've got one. If you gave us all three picks, everybody would pick one of the winners. 
And then we've got one, uh, not a first-time winner by any means, but a new to winning on this type of stage. And then you got one guy that has won on some of the biggest stages in the country, but not recently, like a, a return to prominence. So three pretty cool stories coming out of the, these 40 Granders. Yeah, very well said. Friday, basically a legend in our sport, mm-hmm. raced a guy that if he's not a legend already, he's going to be when he gets of age. But uh, Toby Barnes got the win over Adam Davis in Friday's 40K. Now, Toby doing it unconventional. It's a deep stage S10 dialed low sevens, which you're not supposed to be able to go win with. The guy works very hard on his program and and gets his stuff as good as you can get it for all races not just the big ones and he come out the victor over as you know and i know an extremely tough opponent always adam davis in that wheel standing chevy too sound like adam ripped a couple of times must not have quite got there or he might have got too much i don't remember if he broke out or not but toby um again as you said having one on huge stages but uh, getting back to, to that level of performance with a big win there on Friday in yeah. Darlington. Toby's won a lot of big stuff in his career. I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, he's one on the top, he's one on the bottom. I would say his most notable accomplishment prior to this, and maybe still his most notable accomplishment, Toby was in the final round of the first million-dollar race, was runner-up to TJ Tracy. And you talked about doing it in an unconventional way. Like, at that time, I don't remember much about that door car that he was driving. I don't remember if it was a small-tire car or not, but I remember it was slow. Like, it was a, a seven-second car that he drove into the final of the million, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, six, 697 O car, uh, back half, 67-68 uh, Camaro. But again, as you said, not something that left wild. It left kind of slow. Maybe had it on two barrel or something like that. You know, just found the best way to get it down the track consistently. So, yeah, Toby uh, obviously showing up big and a huge inaugural events as he did there at the ATI Bigfoot 40s. But Saturday, really uh, no offense to anybody else that visited the winter circle or runner-up. Saturday was the story for me, Luke. You know, obviously, this guy was a lot of people's pick. And as soon as the Calcutta come out uh, from Brad Plourd, all right, so everybody posts, I'll take Nick Hastings uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons. He got the win over Joe Duke. And though, those people that don't know Joe, uh, he's uh, from the Northeast and very talented footbrake racer. Doesn't get out a ton, but when he does, he seems to perform very well. So congratulations to Joe on a great event. Nick got the win. Okay, yeah, so Nick Hastings won a foot brake race. Big deal. <laughs> Luke, he lost low gear around the halfway point in the race. I've heard third round, I've heard fourth round, whatever. doesn't matter when it was. He lost it. He switched to high gear only and deep staging. I don't know about your racing program, Big Jed, but low gear is pretty important in, in my racing program. <laughs> yeah, it is very that's important. It's one of the major ones. Well. And I mean, for people that don't foot brake race, yeah. So Nick's probably high gear only deep stage somewhere before just to see if it worked. Maybe on a loose racetrack or whatever. Knew about what to do. But in, on the biggest stage in your class to come out and have to do that, okay, you've been forced to do it. You didn't do it because you wanted to and you go and still competing against the best the class has to offer and you get the win just shows his versatility his calm demeanor and supreme talent 
to go out and get a win with those kind of circumstances involved. Just very, very, very impressive. Yeah, and in Nick's case, just yet another instance where that versatility is on display. This is the guy that won the utility portion of the All-State race last year. He can do it all, but definitely a uh, a prime example of that when you just out of, are forced to completely for, switch gears. You see what I did there? Um, <laughs> in, in mid-race, uh, and, and then to come out on top of a race that is so as deeply talented as any $40,000 foot brake race, particularly when there's three of them in one weekend. Yeah, super impressive for friend of the podcast, Nasty Nick Hastings. Yeah, number one on our bottom bulb top 25. I say ours on the bottom bulb top 25 that was submitted to the podcast. Again, I, I still get accused of that being our list as people talk to me in the pits at times. But he did show up number one on there and obviously back that up. So we move into Sunday Luke, with the final 40K, and a guy from your part of the country uh, got the win. And this is, again, you're going to see it's rare. A guy will travel from southern Illinois to Darlington, South Carolina, for a foot brake race, but $40,000 changes things a little bit. Randy Weller made that trip in a car that I believe he has only had out two times now and got the $40,000 win over Todd Toman. Todd, again, I think from up in the Northeast, uh, showed out very well. I got to watch the event. He, he seemed to race extremely well on the bottom. But uh, Randy Weller took his new car from Southern Illinois to Darlington and collected a $40,000 check. I know you know Randy fairly well from being around that part of the country. Yeah, super happy for Randy to make that trip. I believe he towed out there with Charlie Lockhart. And as you mentioned, not only is Darlington a long way from where we live, like you can't really get there from here. You got to go up through mountains. Like it's <laughs> it's not the best drive. And it, and if I remember right, I saw one of Charlie's Facebook posts from early in the weekend. Sounds like they had quite the trials and tribulations of just getting to Darlington. Yeah. And then obviously the weekend ends with Randy's, the biggest win of his young career, very, very cool. And like you said, in basically what is up to him, almost a brand new car, just a one of three, I think, really cool winner stories from that event. Yep. All three had a nice, uh, cool story around them. And again, congratulations to Michael Beard and Anthony Walton, Loose Rocker. Folks at Darlington looked like they had a great racing surface for the racers, as always. And all around great event. I know those guys that won really know that they were part of something special in the inaugural event and definitely hope to see those guys continue to do those things for the foot brake racers. Luke, there was more racing. We'll quickly cover everywhere. Racing things. everywhere. It's that yeah. time of year. There was supposed to be some racing at the Super 7 Series at Montgomery Raceway Park, which I was going to attend. That got canceled sometime Thursday, I believe, maybe Thursday morning, Thursday around lunch. Not real sure. It, they, they just announced due to unforeseen circumstances. I think there might have been an illness or something among the important people there at Montgomery that kept them from being able to hold the event. But whatever it is, I'm sure they'll get back and, uh, and reschedule it and have it. But uh, the IHRA Sportsman Spectacular debuted at State Capitol Raceway, Luke, down at uh, Port Allen, Louisiana. How'd you say that? Port Allen, Louisiana, or is it Louisiana? I don't know, but I like the way you say it. I think Um, it's Louisiana. I think that's how I should have said it. 
I don't know. I like the way you said it the first time. All right. So Saturday's Mosier Engineering $10,000 main event. Win went home with Perry Camo. Didn't Perry just win something else recently? I don't know. I'm putting yeah. you on the spot there, but I feel like Perry just had a big, like a $5,000 win or something. Was it at one of Galen's races down there? One of the King of the Coasts? Okay, Mark. Mark oh. always on top of things. Yep. Producer Mark coming through for us. I bet you're right, Mark. Mark says he thinks it was Lane. You, when you see a name like Camo, you really don't think about the first name being there being a possibility that two Camos win, but apparently Lane and Perry both win. So my apologies to Lane. Sunday's $5,000 winner down there in Baton, in, uh, Baton Rouge was Brian Hughes. In the, That's Pinto, right? Is Brian in a Pinto? I, I thought he had a Vega. Pinto. Pinto. Wow. Yeah. Got to give credit where credit's due. That's Pinto. <laughs> Once again, Mark coming through for us. Junior Dragster winners from IHRA in Baton Rouge. Dalton Lummis on Saturday. Trey Gallette on Sunday. So congrats to everybody down there. And we will certainly keep everyone up to date as that IHRA Sportsman Spectacular Series moves on to new dates and new locations throughout the season. Big Jed NHRA Division One made their first stop of the season out in Virginia. Virginia at Virginia Motorsports Park. Anything that stood out to you from Dinwiddie? Just, I, I wanted to say Dinwiddie. Well, I didn't really get into the results a whole lot. I did happen to see my good friend Mark House of Pain, Pain, make it to the final in both Top Dragster and Top Sportsman. One Top Dragster got the runner-up in Top Sportsman. I guess those that know Mark know, well, okay, that's Mark just being Mark. He goes to finals all the time and wins. This was basically the debut, the racing debut for his top sportsman car where he has gone from, you know, a nitrous car to twin turbos and obviously very good people in his camp and getting that car prepared to not only go down the racetrack each time but be competitive. So great to see my bud Mark Payne getting the job done there in a couple of classes. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I don't imagine that's a throw that thing together, roll it out of the trailer and, and go dominate type thing. Like you're doing yeah. something that is rarely done in that category. You are the proving ground for a lot of that. There's a lot of R&D going into that combination, which makes wins like that, I would assume, even more special. I got partially excited for a moment when I saw that Joseph Santangelo got a win in Superstock. I was like, oh, yeah, Team Luke. And then I actually looked up, and I do have Joe Santangelo on Team Luke, but in Stock Eliminator. So that was a tease. Yeah. But congrats to Joe on the Superstock win. Right win, wrong class, but nice work, Joe. <laughs> Great job, Joe. Big Jed, there was one other major event, this one on the NHRA Tour last weekend, the national event in Houston, and it is from that event that we get this week's Siebert Performance, Who's Hot? He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Siebert Performance, Who's Hot? New for 2018, there's Pro Series billet carburetors available from Siebert Performance. These carbs feature high-flow billet main bodies, base plates, and billet metering blocks. They're hard anodized for corrosion-resistant finish, and they're available in 750 CFM and larger, and they come with a very nice hard-carrying case. Custom calibrated for each individual customer, check them out on Facebook or call 785-286-6813. 
bloke. Big, Jed, as I mentioned, um, the NHRA Tour made its way to Houston for the national event. Now, that's the same facility that just, I don't know, like four or five weeks ago, we talked about an all-collier family super comp final round in which young Coy, that's son, beat Steve, that's father, in the final mm. round of super comp. Fast forward to last weekend, Steve continued that hot streak by getting a super comp win at the divisional event in Dallas. At that same event, his brother Jack, or Jackson, got the win in the Mosier Engineering uh, Division Four shootout. This past weekend, they returned to Houston, again, NHRA national event. Once again, for the second time in a little over a month, wow. Coy and Steve meet in the final, this time with a national event Wally at stake, this time in the 990 class rather than the 890 class with the same outcome. Once again, Coy Collier gets the win over Steve Collier in the final round, father-son final, um, and just the stretch. I can't even single one out because they've all done so well, that entire family, um, over the course of the past month plus. That This week's Seabird Performance, Who's Hot?, just goes to Collier Family Racing for continually showing out and then uh, meeting up in that what's got to be so special (laughs) father-son final for the second time in, what, six weeks at the national event level with the stands full and everybody watching. Like, that is a dream come true for any dad and I think largely for any son. So kudos to them. Really cool uh, scene from Houston. Super cool, Luke, and definitely congrats goes out to the entire Collier family. I know Steve couldn't be prouder of Coy and the job he's doing in Jackson and the job he's doing as they've learned from one of the best. But let's Probably talk about losing to him, though. Yeah, I imagine he would. Have to <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about how difficult a challenge this is to even happen. OK, mm-hmm. so it's father son facing off in the final for those who are not familiar with how this works. So in the super categories in HRA round one, you pull in the lanes, you get who you get. OK, so. It's random pairings. You just line up beside somebody and race. How you make that round and how you complete it determines where you fall on the ladder. It's It qualifies you after that. Yeah, so, it's based on your round one ET, so it's yeah. basically impossible to manipulate. You can't manipulate it. You fall where you fall. So you're, you're, you and your son are racing super gas at the NHRA national event knowing that you honestly could pair second round if you make it and – you know, that's a, that's something you definitely don't want to happen, but it could happen. And it works out the way you qualify to make it all the way to the final opposite sides of the ladder and get to face one another. Just a really cool story. And to call your family doing that for the second time this year, really awesome. So congratulations to all of those guys in the Collier camp. I know that was uh, another special day at the racetrack. Yeah, another, uh, I got a little bit excited again. I got, got a little fired up. Uh, Team Luke siding from Houston. Austin Williams laid down a run that was deserving of winning the national event Wally uh, in Super Comp and came up a thousand short. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I believe Austin and Lyndon Rutland both went 18 on the tree. I think Lyndon was 90 with a one. Austin was 90 with a two, something like that. Like it was some ridiculous good race in the final round. Um, But Mm. shout out to Austin, not only for scoring a runner up for team Luke, but for overcoming what's been a a rough couple of weeks uh, in that camp. I know that 
at the Dallas Divisional. He, I think, broke a valve in the motor in his dragster, had to swap motors at that event, and then I believe later in the weekend hurt the motor in a stock eliminator car as well. Was driving mm. a borrowed stalker in Houston, and uh, you know his dragster with the backup motor in it. Um, so a just the work that went into and the logistics that went into getting into first round of competition in the first place, then to have that rewarded uh, with a runner-up finish. Cool story. Good on Austin. Good for Team Luke. And um, the other thing that stood out to me, Big Jed from Houston, was Brenda Grubbs. Brenda got her first. Um, NHRA national event super stock victory. You know, she'd been a winner um, in stock eliminator before, and she, Brenda's no stranger to the winner circle. She's former mm-hmm. IHRA world champion, um, but that was her first NHRA super stock win. And at the same event, she also advanced to the semifinals in stock eliminator. So um, got a got a whiff or a sniff at least of an NHRA double up, and ended up sealing the deal in super stock. So congrats to Brenda as well. Yeah, great job by A-Dub and uh, certainly Brenda Grubbs, uh, another strong performance by her. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. All right, guys. Those of you who have been keeping up with the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular, um, these guys are going May the 18th through the 20th to the new Summit Sportsman Spectacular program at Keystone Raceway Park in New Alexandria, Pennsylvania, in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, This event will provide something for everyone, guys. It's got an Ironman. It's got big checks for the winners. There's round prizes. The main event will be uh, 10K to win on Saturday, while Sunday will pay $5,000 to win. Both races allow electronics. The no-box entries will be kept separate until one remains, and that racer will be put back into the program in the following round of box. But that racer will also receive a $1,000 bonus on Saturday and a $500 bonus on Sunday in those respective races. Uh, If that racer is an IHRA Summit Sportsman Series member, they receive another bonus of $500. So, You can pre-enter. Again, it's only $150 for the Keystone event, and that will run until May the 7th. Pre-enter now at IHRA.com. What drives you as a racer? Personally, I've had a blast for more than 20 years challenging myself to see how good I can become. And it's an ongoing pursuit that I can only assume will never end. This is Bracket Racing Elite is a unique membership community filled with racers just like you and me that share that same goal. And within the community, we push each other in an effort to find the answer to that very question. How good can I be? And to expand the potential answers to that question. How do we do that? Through constant challenges introspection, interaction, and instruction. I know that that was a lot of I words. Um, Kevin Brandon and I 
combined to host this group. This is Bracket Racing Elite. Members of the group have access to have direct access to us and get exclusive access to the trainings that we provide on a weekly basis. But Elite is much more than just Kevin and I. It is an incredible group of growth-minded racers who not only challenge themselves, but also challenge and encourage one another. If you're genuinely interested in seeing just how good you can become within our segment of this great sport, I'm confident that This Is Bracket Racing Elite can help you not only realize your potential, but expand it. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com. It's time for The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, everybody. As promised, we talked to you last week and told you we wanted to have the winner of the Spring Fling Million on the show. He has agreed to come on with us, and he is actually here now. It is an honor and a privilege to have the latest Spring Fling Million Las Vegas winner, Randall Reed, join us tonight. Randall, how's things going, man? Doing great, guys. How are you today? Thank you for that. It's an honor to be here on the show with you. Yes, sir. Well, it's an honor to have you, and uh, we're doing very well. Uh, Obviously, congrats are in order for a major, major win at the racetrack. Uh, It's something that obviously everybody dreams about and hopes for when they get there, but uh, you pulled it off, man. So congrats for putting your name on the list of huge winners there at Spring Fling Million. Well, thanks again, and what a blessing of a day and a weekend. Randall, for those who aren't familiar with your story, why don't you give us a little bit of your history behind the wheel? I know that you come from a racing family. Like I remember racing with your dad when I was a kid. Your brother was a racer. I know that you guys own or at least did own the racetrack near Wichita Falls. Not sure if you still do. I know that you've run some pro mods. So I don't know. Give us the Reader's Digest version. of. Yeah, you got it. Well, I started running a junior tractor when I was about 10, and around 14, 15, I started driving a little little dual car, about a seven-second dual car. And I was born in drag racing. I was told that I went to my first race when I was two weeks old. My dad, his uh, brothers, everybody, we just drag racing family. That's all we've ever known and done. And I raced racket racing locally for quite a while. And me and my dad, whenever I was about 21, we decided we wanted to go pro mod racing. And uh, we did. And we raced around the Dallas-Fort Worth area for years and won several events with them, just kind of learning ourselves and figuring everything out. And then we went a little further. We ended up running a uh, PDRA and ended up being a three-time national event champion with them. And it was really a lot of fun. We had a lot of good times at that. And uh, But it's just a lot of uh dedication a lot of time definitely a lot of money and you know i got kids now and stuff and i just got out of that guess at the end of 16 i just decided i wanted to take a break and come back bracket racing and uh, my uh, brother laramie been doing a lot of good and uh best friend aaron and them guys they've been traveling around a lot and I really just decided to uh to come back and and yeah like you said we we owned uh, wichita raceway park here Wichita Falls, Texas, and uh, we actually just sold that last year, and, uh, okay. you know, the run in the racetrack part, uh, really not as fun as the racing <laughs> side of it, and, uh, uh, without a doubt, but, uh, but we love 
drag racing, and that's all we we care to do. Now you mentioned Laramie. Obviously, we're familiar with your brother Larry Reed. Who's the older brother? Oh, my older brother's name is Jason Reed, and he is uh, 39 years old, and he races a door car with us around here locally and stuff. And he kind of has a different job than what we do, and then he gets sometimes he can't get off and stuff. And gotcha. Uh, Who's older just, between you and Larry? We raced. I'm actually the middle middle okay. kid, and we're all five years apart. So I have an older brother, Jason, and there's me. I'm, I'm 33, and then Laramie's, I think, 29 or getting close to the 30 area. So he's the <laughs> youngest one, and he was done quite a bit of good himself. And he actually, last year, built him a, a brand-new American race car, Chromeworks Edition. Beautiful car. Hadn't had time yet to bring it out, and um, I'd had American myself. Actually, you know, he he was talking to me about helping him try to sell it. It didn't take me very long to figure out, well, I can't let this car get out of our camp. You know, I think I'll just buy it from you and then I'll sell the <laughs> one I have. So we did, and I'm really thankful that I, that I did a uh, very good race car. I love the Americans myself. We run a rear Morrison 583 12-degree profiler motor, and they're just Laramie's on. I think this is the fourth one we've owned. You know, we've just never turned a wrench on it. They just... You can do whatever preventive maintenance you want, you know, and uh, just very good, solid motors make good horsepower. Love the American race cars, and and I'm really glad I ended up with this one. Yeah, Randall, you talked about, obviously, you got a lot of things going on in life, and you stay busy, which leads you not to be able to go bracket racing a lot. So at what point did you make the decision to go to Vegas for the Spring Fling Million? What led you in that direction? Actually, Friday, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a video of uh, our buddy, family, friend, Twitch, the Capuchin Monkey. If you don't, you might look it up. You'll be able to see. We're working on a carburetor Friday, me and my dad and him. And uh, <laughs> we're just cleaning up some stuff under the scoop. You know, I hadn't been anywhere racing yet and missed a few that other people were able to go to. Well, Friday night, I just had a hunch. I done, I done see where uh, Burns and Cortland Carter and everybody, they was already headed out. When I just had the hunt, I thought, you know, wonder if Aaron and can get off work and, and wonder if everybody wants to go, you know, this last minute. So Friday night, I called around and said, hey, guys, see what you can do. And uh, let's see if we can ease down there and have some fun, you know. And uh, so we talked about it and I said, hey, let's meet Saturday. Let's get everything ready and see, see where we come up. You know, so Saturday, I'm looking on my Facebook and I see uh, Bird Jones as a raffle. And uh, so I said, I thought, heck, I always throw a couple hundred here and there on some of those raffles. So I threw two spots in there on his deal and come to find out that evening I won that one the million spot. So I was able to win the entry there. So everything was already starting to come together a little bit. Everybody was able to get off work. So I uh, got everything loaded up and sent the rig out. And a good family friends of ours, the works family, they took off in the rig and me and Aaron Aaron G. flew down Tuesday morning to meet the guys. So impromptu decision that obviously got better as you went. <laughs> pretty <laughs> pretty cool story. So as of the, the Friday prior, really didn't have any plans to go to the million. And, and it sounds like we are giving at least some of the credit to putting this together to Twitch. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, hey, uh, he's really funny. And like I said, we were just cleaning up some stuff under the scoop and my dad had made a video that, that day of him, you know, and everybody got a laugh out of it. And stuff. <laughs> but and then all of a sudden, like I said, we just kind of decided to 
I decided, I guess, that I really would like to go, you know, and, uh, and just luckily we were able to make it happen. Well, without being all that familiar with any of the previous decisions that you made in your life, Randall, I'd say that that was a pretty good one. <laughs> I would say so, too. Very thankful for that. <laughs> the, uh, we had Brandon Taylor on last week after he won the uh, Powerball event out in South Carolina, and I basically asked him the this same question, two-part question. I feel like whenever you win an event of this magnitude – Everything kind of has to fall into place. And, and you know, everybody says, like, you you got to get away with a lucky round. Well, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. You usually have a lucky Absolutely. round somewhere along the way. And then at the same time, tends to be a round where your opponent makes a run that maybe you wouldn't normally beat. And it just so happened that you made an awesome run that round. Like, you have a lucky round that you get away with, and you have a round where you have to kind of stand on your head, and you do. So I wonder if you could pinpoint those two for us from Friday's Spring Fling. Absolutely. Uh, the first one that comes to mind right off the bat, we're fifth round. I got Corey Galetti. I know the kid's good. I've been, you know, everybody gets listening to the radio around there. There's several people throwing some stuff together, and this kid's one of them, you know. And uh, so, anyways, to the racing part, you know, we get up there, and uh, I let go of the button, and I think I'm, you know, I don't think I'm owe anything, so I reach up and hit the bump down. Well, long story short, I'm triple O on the tree, dead four to Corey's double O three, dead four. Oof. It's just a blessing. I don't, I don't, you know, I just, I really didn't think, you know, I what, you know, to begin with, I was okay on the tree, but if I didn't use the bump down, I lose the round. Well, I'm not trying to get into your business, but what's in the bump down? Five. Okay, so you were oh, you still hit it good, but you needed that bump. Yeah, you needed to I think really you wasn't. I tell you one more something. I mean, kind of funny. In the first round, I, I did lose first round, and I did have to buy back, and I let off the button, and I'm two or three green, and I end up being two or three red, whichever the one it ends up being, you know. So, uh, you know, it didn't work out the first time. I don't even know why I hit it the second time, but I just, you know, I guess sometimes you feel like. You're not there, and I knew I needed to be, and I was better than what I thought, and it could have been negative one red just as easy as it uh, popped up the triple O. No doubt. And so the that's only other round. instance I yeah. can really think of, you know, is just taking a little bit of extra strop, you know, and being dead on zero. You know, that happened to me once, and it's just another blessing round. You know, I could have broke it out pretty easily there, and uh, i just really glad that, it, you know, obviously that it didn't, didn't yeah, you know, that's uh, one of those things you got to get by with, no matter what you're racing for. But, man, it sure has to feel really good to get by with it when you know you're racing yeah. uh, the the largest event uh, on the West Coast. But So, Randall, tell us about post-race. Obviously, we can tell you're a humble guy. You probably kind of stay a little quiet, but that's not allowed when you have just won the spring fling million. So yeah, tell us about the post-race festivities, how, how that went. Well, I mean, you know, first it, it just, you know, it takes forever to really realize what, you know, what's really gone down. You know, I really, really just hard to believe, you know, and first and foremost, just really thankful. You know, my father was able to be there with me. Uh, uh, really special to be able to share that with him. And, you know, my, my wife and, uh, uh, my wife Taylor and son Hudson and daughter Henley they they were at home watching me and I uh, I really wish they could have been there with me and my wife you know when I finally got to talk to her she was bawling you know and just 
you know, just really genuinely was happy, you know, and I just, I wish she could have been there, but, um, you know, we just, uh, the guys I come with, everybody just so supportive, and, you know, just to, to pull up there, you know, last one standing, and beer, champagne, bath, you know, and just the whole experience, you know, just uh, really, you know, just uh, it's hard to describe, you know, and the, the limo, and the, just everybody's support, you know, on the property that surrounds you, and I really don't know much else to say except for, uh, you know, I just really appreciate the guys that put on the fling and the way they make you feel uh, like a king whenever you do win it and just everything about the race, even before that, you know, we love love the facility. I will have to say, you know, my lips are finally starting to heal a little bit. You know, we got pretty winch out there the first couple of days. Yeah. We didn't have a, a stick of lip balm in, in sight and we finally hunted one down, but but really, everything was just a was really fun, and you know, they we finally went back to the trailer, and they they took us in our limo to, towards the Cosmopolitan, and we just we just had a great time, we ate a ate a good meal, and I had ate probably ten burrito chips total, you know, the whole day, and uh, <laughs> you know, so what was that uh, celebratory but, meal? Uh, we just had some steak and eggs at a at a place there in the Cosmopolitan. Everybody sat around, had a had a drink or two, just awesome. were able to t- uh, talk about the day and you know how blessed we were to, to be standing there. Yeah, no, I couldn't help but think, Randall, when you guys all piled into the limo, that that scene was a little bit more what Pete and Kyle had in mind than you know, like the first year Verdi won it, and I believe it was just him and Jerry rode to the. The Cosmo and the limo, and last year when I was yeah. fortunate enough to, it's just me, my wife, and my and our three year old at the time. You know what I mean? You guys yeah, look like we, you got you were a little more than that. Yeah, <laughs> we, 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 blasted, we all the champions in there, and we had the champagne and the and the beer going, and uh, you know, we, it was really a lot of fun and a one once a lifetime experience for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. Randall, we can't thank you enough for for sharing that with us. Uh, It's always fun to sit down with the latest big winner, but when it's something this special, it it just makes it a little more fun for Luke and I. And I know uh, you are a busy guy and don't have a lot of time, but we definitely want to end this the way we like to end interviews here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And it's called Rapid Fire. And Luke and I will ask you five questions kind of short questions and you give us the short answer first thing that pops in your head you up for that okay sure pretty established career behind the wheel and a variety of different vehicles i'm curious what's the fastest that you've been in a race car i've been 3.51 seconds at 216 mile an hour i should be still top eight door slammer passes yeah, that's pretty quick. Okay. That's, that's getting after it. <laughs> uh, Randall, 66, I was about to ask you what that 60 foot was. 866. Yeah. Randall, uh, what's your favorite movie? You know, I really don't have one on there. I, uh, we love all the comedy stuff. Uh, I really don't have a favorite movie. Where would you go if you were invisible? Uh, I just hadn't thought about that before. <laughs> yeah, man, real good one. I don't know. Maybe the bank vault. <laughs> oh, good answer. No, I really don't know. Maybe somewhere like Dubai, you know, something like that. I'd like to experience something over there. So, all right, Randall, who's your favorite superhero? 
I'm sorry. I'm I'm tough, but I don't. I can't. I don't have anything come to mind there. <laughs> I'm stumpy. That's good. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you brought us through a little bit of your history, but I'm I'm curious and try to do this without the the recency bias. But what's cooler, making a lap and maybe I guess winning a a pro mod race or winning the Spring Fling Million? I'm gonna have to go with winning the Spring Fling Million. I uh, I've been really fast, and but this is really the best experience I've ever had. Awesome. Man, thanks again for coming on with us. Congratulations. Very fun to watch. Cool to uh, to see you guys come out on top. And uh, awesome to catch up with you and, again, kind of get your, your humble take on all this. It's very refreshing, and uh, congratulations to you, man. Well, thanks again, guys. Again, it's an honor, and I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Congratulations, Randall. Have a great night. Where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's What's on Tap! This is the part of the show, Big Jed, where we preview <laughs> some of the upcoming events uh, that are that are up next on the calendar, uh, the Sportsman Drag Racing calendar. It's also the part of the show where we give our listeners a little bit of insight as to what's next for the sportsman drag racing podcast in this instance i actually need to backtrack a little bit um this is one i i wish i could i wish i could blame this on producer mark i really wish i could blame this on you jed but i think <laughs> i just have to 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 take both of these i think these are completely on my shoulders a couple of um uh, tidbits from the Department of Corrections. Uh, as a couple, of, this is this probably spans over the last like three podcasts. Because to be completely honest, when I'm proven wrong, like I don't really even like to admit it. But there have been so many of them now that I feel like I need to lump them all together, and I'm just going to eat all my crow right here at once. Um, so a couple episodes ago, I believe it was when Bradley Johnson won at uh, Las Vegas, won the Super Comp National event. When I wrongly said that that was his first national event win, another. In instance where I got it wrong. Um, I also said that I didn't think anyone had won their first national event and then won their second in the same day, like doubled to get their first national event win. Our good friend Brad Plord reminded me that that was not correct. Drew Skillman did just that when he won uh, Superstock and Stock at Atlanta, I believe, um, several years ago. So stand corrected there. Um, another Department of Corrections. I actually paid a fair amount of attention last episode to Ryan Mangus's Super Street victory, which I assume came in Ryan Harum's Camaro. Um, and I admitted then, like, I could be wrong. I don't really know. I was. Uh, I was very wrong. That was not in Ryan Harum's Camaro. That was in Phil Unruh's Cobalt. So uh, congratulations once again to Mangus. Congrats to Unruh as a car owner. And um, no congrats to Harum whatsoever. And um, and then somehow or another, I got mixed up last week. Again, this is completely on me. The IHRA Sportsman uh, Spectacular that we just talked about was at State Capital Raceway, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Somehow or another, I'm pretty sure on last episode, last week's episode, I, I noted that that was coming to State Capital Raceway and also said that it was coming to Capital Raceway as well in Maryland. I don't know where I came up with that. Um, that was inaccurate. So – State Capital Raceway, not Capital Raceway. So, Department of Corrections, sorry guys, uh, trying to get all that straight. 
Yeah, and I will go back and say you said uh, no congrats to Harum for anything, but I would say congrats to Harum for getting his name said so many times on the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast when he did absolutely nothing. So, High Gear, uh, you somehow weaseled your way into the show when you didn't even deserve it. So, congratulations does go out to you, actually. Good point. Uh, and he also married way over his head. So, congrats on that. Well, that that was easy to do, but he did hit a home run. <laughs> so, uh, Luke, the uh, the 25K showdowns coming to Muncie Dragway, legendary Muncie Dragway in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, those uh, the the Cummings boys and um, uh, the um, uh, goodness, what what am I trying to say? The folks, folks, the folks. Yeah, yeah. the Cummings boys and the folks are uh, taking their show to Muncie. 25k showdowns need to check that out if uh, if you can get to muncie this weekend that would definitely be an awesome event to attend uh, those guys do a very good job and i think this is uh, the first time up in the muncie area or up at muncie dragway uh, this event i think was being held at memphis luke so mm-hmm. uh, they are taking a little bit north so you guys show up for them show them they made a really good decision Yep, uh, drive for 75 at Huntsville Dragway. I assume that's where you'll be this weekend, Big Jen? Yeah, uh, JJ and I will be heading north Friday evening. Uh, this is formerly the drive for five at Huntsville Dragway, presented by Huntsville Engine. Uh, those guys did three five-granders Friday, Saturday, Sunday for a $100 entry. They've decided that it is a working man series, and it's difficult for people to get away Friday, so they're making it Saturday and Sunday only, 7500 to win each day. For only a one hundred dollar entry, doesn't matter when you get there. If you get there Saturday, you get to race two seventy fives for a hundred. If you get there Sunday, you're gonna get to race you one seventy five for a hundred. Either way, it's a heck of a deal. So if you are in that area, of course, need to get out to Huntsville Dragway and participate in the drive for seventy five. The uh, uh, many time or many year running event, the ten grand slam. Uh, being held by the Davis boys there at uh, Richmond Dragway in That's Sanston. a cool name for an event. I love it. Yeah, I love it. That's a good one. Ten grand slams, uh, some ten granders. Uh, Luke, I'm not familiar if it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if it's three of them or just two of them, but I think it's three if I remember correctly. I should know that, but either way, uh, I know that the folks in that area really enjoy that event. The folks at Richmond do a great job, so Guys, hopefully get some good weather and have a really good time there at the 10 Grand Slams in Richmond. And one more big event coming up on the calendar. The NHRA Tour makes its way to Charlotte for the four wide nationals. So certainly we'll spend some time on next week's show reviewing the action from the sportsman ranks at Charlotte. Fortunately, well, fortunately for you, if you're listening, because we have run probably just a touch long, but yeah, unfortunately if you're still for there, us, bless yeah. your hearts. Uh, we're wrapping up this episode <laughs> of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. I uh, definitely want to say thanks to our guest, Randall Reed. Congrats out to him for winning the most recent huge event, the uh, K&N Spring Fling Million. Our great sponsors deserve uh, a special thanks, and that's Siebert Performance. The folks at the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular, be sure to keep up with them and go check them out. And uh, this is Bracket Racing Elite, another great sponsor of the show. And Luke, uh, here's an area for you to get out some shout-outs. Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been dreaming this up for a while. Shout-outs <laughs> becoming one of my favorite portions of the show. I'm going to shout-out Ryan Mangus once again. I'll shout-out Phil Unruh for actually owning the car that Ryan Mangus drove. Uh, I guess I have to. I'll shout-out Ryan Harum. I will definitely shout-out Whitney Harum. Um <laughs> 
I'll shout out Johnny Bracket Racer. I love for giving this. Us, giving us something to talk about. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, yep. I always appreciate you providing us with some material. Um, I'll shout out Britt Cummings because he also don't give a bleep. And I'll shout out while we're in Louisiana. Like I'll just shout out the whole state of Louisiana. Give me Perry and Lane Camo and just all of Louisiana. Shout out Louisiana. Yeah, and I want to say shout out to the folk family. I, I let your name slip my brain for just a few seconds there is really uh, beyond me, but um, a family that I love and uh, definitely legends in our sport. So shout out to the folk family for me slipping up there a little bit. Guys, shout out to everybody listening to. Tell us what you think about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Message us on our Facebook page. We're easy to find. All you got to do is do a little search. I hear people all the time say, where where can I, where do I find y'all's Facebook page? Well, I'll tell you what, go to Facebook and type in Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And if that don't bring us up, just forget about it. You'll never find us. <laughs> Easy to find. Tell us what you think about the show. Send us a private message or put it out there for everybody to see. We couldn't care less. We just want you to give us some feedback. And... You can at us on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. We can't thank you enough for listening. Look forward to talking to you again next week where we're going to have JJ's Top Ten. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Football again in anything. Bottom ball before a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>